Hello everyone! If you're listening to this episode, you may have gotten it two different places. This episode is being released as an episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films in that feed. It is also, however, being released in the feed for the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Both podcasts are from StarWarsReport.com. But see, here's the thing. The topic we're covering this time is Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir. It's a comic series, part of the Legends continuity and the Story Group Canon continuity, which makes it fair game for Star Wars Beyond the Films. However, we also have the issue here that it is essentially an end-cap storyline for the Clone Wars, wrapping up some of the storylines from that series and based on previously unproduced scripts. It is one of two stories we're getting like that, with the other being a novel coming soon with Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss. The fact that it is part of the Clone Wars makes it fair game for Rebels Roundtable carrying on the legacy of Republic Forces Radio Network. So for this episode, two of your hosts from Rebels Roundtable, the two regular hosts from Star Wars Beyond the Films, Mark and myself, Nathan, will be taking a look at this, and it will be presented in both feeds. No, they're not different episodes, so if you've heard the one, you've heard the other. So sit back and enjoy, hopefully, our coverage of Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. The official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, listener. Welcome to episode 143 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, and your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook and Twitter pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like Darth Maul's need to stay alive, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hello, everyone. I gotta say, the whole two continuities thing definitely applies in this episode's case. Yeah, you know, I mean... It's a topic that's not going to go away anytime soon, fandom, but it is one that I'm slowly wrapping my head around, and I admit the pill is getting easier to swallow. I think I'm more happy knowing that this is going to probably be, I hope, the very last time we get a story that straddles two continuities. (laughs) I hope. Well, you know, I mean, we sort of have to do it in a sense, because I guess for the preface here, uh, for those who have not been following the whole Legends continuity stuff, maybe we're listeners who are listening only because of the carryover from a Public Forces Radio Network to Rebels Roundtable and all. Basically, as of April of 2014, we had this big announcement saying that uh, Star Wars continuity is in a sense being rebooted. You've got this new continuity being built up that is being organized by the story group within Lucasfilm. It's simply being called canon. I tend to call it story group canon to keep it straight because that term shows up a lot. But basically, it's a new continuity based around the films, including the upcoming ones, the Clone Wars, and the upcoming Rebels, which will be premiering right around the time that this episode is being released. And 
Building on top of that foundation will be novels, comics, and so forth. Video games, just about everything. Same kind of stuff we saw back with the previous official continuity, only now it's all being orchestrated to hopefully tie closer together and uh, play off each other a little bit more. The previously existing continuity stuff. The continuity that had been built up previously, starting in 1991, going back retroactively and grabbing stuff as far back as 1976 as a New Hope novelization, a continuity based around the six live-action films up to this point, but not the future ones, and the Clone Wars, but not Rebels, that whole giant continuity is now known as Star Wars Legends, or the Legends continuity. However, the Clone Wars is a unique beast, as is Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir. The Clone Wars is part, just like the original six live-action films, of both the story group canon, the new kind, and the Legends continuity, where the Clone Wars kind of smash through a bunch of previously existing stuff, for which there is not a solution forthcoming, apparently. Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir is the last new Star Wars comic series produced by Dark Horse Comics. However, it's based on unproduced Clone Wars scripts, making it part of the Clone Wars overall. So it would have been automatically part of Legends by being a Dark Horse comic series rather than an upcoming Marvel comic series. Um, but because it is tied into Clone Wars, it is not just part of that for Legends, but also gets carried over in a sense with the six seasons of the Clone Wars into story group canon. Uh, the same presumably will be said for that Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss novel later. So we really are dealing with a story that exists in two different contexts here. The context of the previously existing Legends continuity, which does include the Clone Wars, and story group canon, which includes the Clone Wars and yet doesn't have all that extra baggage from the broader Legends continuity. So we will be looking at this from a couple of different perspectives to make sense of it this time around. Definitely two continuities this time. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions, questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we plunge into Dark Horse Comics' Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, by Jeremy Barlow. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Now, before we get started, we're going to point out, because this is going on both feeds, we're going to tackle this first with the story canon version of Spoiler Free, and then when we get into spoilers, we'll do the same thing, but we're going to have two sections here, one for canon, one for legends. We're going to start with canon. So with that, Nathan? We know, just kind of from a, a basic non-spoiler standpoint here, this was an odd one. It definitely feels like four episodes of the show. Basically, what you got here is four episodes of the show that were then adapted by Jeremy Barlow, and full disclosure, this is the guy that had initially hired me to write for Tales that one time, so this is somebody that I am familiar with on a personal level, um, and he takes that and turns it into four individual comic issues, and it really does feel like episodes of the show in terms of the pacing of it, in terms of the characters that are used, the references that are made, uh, but also in terms of how each one feels somewhat compartmentalized. Um, one of the things that we noticed in dealing with this just recently if you listen to star wars beyond the films we talked about some things that we would like to have seen in the last issue of this series before it came out and those things did not come to pass because of how compartmentalized they are 
just like what you get in the Clone Wars, where sometimes you've got an episode that's part of a broader arc, and there are characters and situations that are mentioned in one episode that's sort of wrapped up in that one that never show up again in any of the other episodes that are supposed to be part of that same arc. You've got that going on here. There is a Jedi storyline going through the first three issues of this series. And in the fourth issue, that storyline is simply gone. The assumption is, well, it was finished up by issue number three, so it doesn't need to appear in that fourth episode, in this case, the fourth issue. So in that sense, it feels very Clone Wars, for better or worse. As a comic series, it's really jarring to see certain things between issues just kind of get dropped. Um, but from the standpoint of looking at it as a continuation of the Clone Wars, it very much has that same feel, which makes sense because this was apparently going to be part of Season 6. So it's cool to see essentially what amounts to an ending of the story for one of the villain characters from the Clone Wars. We don't get an ending for another villain, which I was kind of shocked by by that point. And it has little bits here and there seeded into it that I'm assuming were meant to be originally part of the Clone Wars episodes, uh, like a particular prison in the issues that wind up actually connecting to what we already know is coming from Star Wars Rebels. So uh, it's very cool to see, but it is a very unusual, unique beast here. Uh, I would definitely recommend it those for those who have been fans of The Clone Wars. It's really sort of a no-brainer to pick this one up. Yeah, unique's a good way to put it. I was thinking about this last night. I'm going to end up buying the trade paperback for my Canon collection. Um, you know, I was like, well, I've got it in singles. Do I save that still for the Legends aspect? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, the, there's going to be another cover for the trade. So I'm like, you know, I, why don't I just go for broke with this? So I'm looking forward to that angle. Walking into this you know, trying to put everything behind me that, that came before it and have the clean memory walking into it. It was actually a refreshing story. Um, you know, I, I found that the main character was not the main character in the way it was presented to me. Um, I, I felt this was more someone else's story. I, I want to keep this as, as spoiler free as possible. I mean, when we start talking about the legends aspect, I'll get more into that, but uh, it definitely felt like there was more story about to be told, um, I, and I liked that. It definitely also had a feel like Empire Strikes Back, how the ending just kind of comes to an end and things aren't so great for everyone in it. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm hooked in that regards. From the canon standpoint, I'm ready for I'm ready for the second half of the story. I felt like you know the elements that were taken from the Clone Wars seasons. There's definitely another half or another three or four arcs, or not arcs necessarily, but episodes or issues to go with this. Um, this feels like a good stage one of a three-part you know, story. And so I'm kind of curious, are we going to get more down the road to kind of add to this? Which, which I guess, I mean, if you, you're really good at seeing through the lines, kind of gives you a hint as to who may survive. May. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I like the art. I like the way the story worked. I like the plot the way that the two groups were kind of working off of each other, trying to trick each other. Uh, you know, each one was expecting what the other one was going to do, but for the reasons why they were expecting it, it was a twist. Uh, so it, in a lot of ways, when it got to the very end, it felt like a straight up fight that neither side knew was a straight up fight. It felt like each side thought that they were fooling the other side, but I don't know. I really liked the way it played out. I liked the dynamics between the different you know characters. You had Darth Maul, you had Darth Tyrannus, you had Darth Sidious involved. And, you know, you had uh, General Grievous and you had interactions with all these characters. And I, I found that was really cool, too. I mean, seeing Maul go up against, you know, Grievous and seeing Maul talking with Dooku and things like that. Like, 
I don't know. I, I didn't think that they would, would really get to me. But now, having this in a canon world and I can leave everything from Legends behind, there wasn't anything really to conflict with. So I could enjoy it for what it was and move forward. Which is, again, what gets at that unique aspect, which, as we move into the Legends half of the spoiler-free zone, I'll get to. Yeah, from a Legends perspective, gotta say that, uh, again, it's another of these things that um, it plays out like a lot of Clone Wars episodes do. It plays... Uh, into its own storytelling, doesn't necessarily make a lot of references beyond itself. Um, it does wind up contradicting one thing and leaving a big uh, open question. There is at least one character alive after this story that, thanks to the Legends continuity for the most part being wrapped up at this point, outside of some RPG materials, the Old Republic video game, and so forth, um, leaves us sort of scratching our heads about what happens to this character in the long run. Hopefully that will somehow be wrapped up in that other book, but I doubt it because we've never been given any type of, of reason to believe that the character is showing up in that book at this point. Um, as for the contradiction, we find out a new origin for one of the characters, which is frustrating because it is an origin that contradicts with what we saw in the Darth Plagueis novel, which in theory, supposedly, was written hand-in-hand uh, with Lucas providing all kinds of information so that James Luceno could create a definitive backstory for Darth Plagueis and Maul and these other characters and how they all fit together into the broader universe. Um, it was even promoted that way in the solicitation text in, among other places, the advanced reader copies sent out, the uncorrected proofs copies sent out to reviewers of Darth Plagueis. And yet, one of those characters' origins appears to have been simply tossed out the window and replaced in this series, which of course would have shown up in the Clone Wars cartoon series, which makes you sort of scratch your head and think, did Lucas really just create, within the span of a very short time, two contradictory origins for the same character and just say, screw it, and toss it out to two different people? Or was this something where Lucino actually was allowed to go through and create something new without Lucas's guidance for an origin for that character, uh, which is actually, I guess, a second or third origin the character got, only for Lucas to then come in and drop a fourth or an overriding origin on top of our heads. So yes, if this is the end of the Clone Wars, at least for now, until we get that novel, um, it goes out as it often came in, by taking previously existing continuity and basically saying, screw it, we'd like to do something different, uh, in this case, with the origin of a character. It came in like a wrecking ball, continuity stood for nothing at all. Thankfully, it's not that big of a deal. It really contradicts the earliest, earliest origin of the character. You can maybe write off one of the origins as a cover story or something, but it just feels clumsy that Lucas would say, here, I'm going to give my tip of the hat to the Darth Plagueis stuff, but I'm also going to do this other thing over here with the Clone Wars. It just feels like sloppy handling, something that hopefully the story group will keep from happening with this new canon. I, you know, Legends aspect looking at this, I, I wished to the maker himself that they would have just said that this did not bridge the gap. I would have been totally fine finding out this was strictly a canon story and that Maul's tale in Legends has, has been left open. I would have been totally okay with that. In fact, the fact that this bridges to kind of makes me irritated because it's like one last hit to Legends before we go. Oh, how you like that, baby? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there were th the origin that you're talking about. I could not help but feel like in the aspect of legends that that character was lying out their butts. 
that they were only saying what they felt that the certain Sith Lord that was sitting in the room needed to hear to be convinced that that person needed to side with the person that was lying. That was that was kind of where I was coming from with that. There was in uh, issue three, Mace Windu is talking with Sidious, where he talks about, you know, this longstanding mystery and it being solved, which, you know, I'll throw it out there in season six of the Clone Wars, the lost one kind of tied with that mystery. So it's kind of like, oh, really? Like now they've now they've solved it. Like, uh, OK. And I could kind of get on board with that. But there was a part of me that was kind of like, well, that doesn't quite line up with what we get in uh, Labyrinth of Evil, though. Now, now, who are they chasing there? Like, OK. So I think with Legends, my biggest aspect there is 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 it had that same classic, you know, we're going to make some changes that we don't necessarily need to. But I get that in this case, it's straddling both. So I can I can look at it like that and understand that this is the last time that Legends is going to have to retcon something for canon, which, you know, th- this is that part of, of all this canon. But this is where I'm getting that point where it's an easier pill to swallow. You know, I mean. Moving forward, I'm not going to have to worry about legends having to shift, you know, a backstory or a plot or this, that or the other thing because something didn't quite line up with it from here on forward. Hopefully everything's going to continue to line up. That makes me excited. Uh, But, yeah, the legends aspect, I'm just hoping that we don't continue to get more stories. You know, as of right now, we haven't been told of anything else coming down the line like this. But I I think even you, Nathan, had asked, you know, will a Quinlan Voss Ventress book straddle the two camps? canons you know i mean are we going to have it sitting in legends and in canon as well or or you know is this the last one i mean they haven't actually said that and i'm hoping to the maker that this is the last time we have this situation uh you know legends wise it wasn't a terrible story but i felt like it was an unnecessary story legends wise not so with canon but yeah legends uh you know in this case the the added baggage there and the fact that it didn't line up i i felt like this story didn't really serve serves the character you know i I felt like uh mall lockdown could have been a better story in this time frame than what we got here in the legends universe in canon i i I think it's a great story but yeah i mean that's one of those aspects where i'm having a really difficult time because this one's falling in two different very different universes (laughs) yeah and let's keep this try to keep this in perspective here it's not that at least the the way that i'm understanding all of this it is not that this is something that was destined for story group canon, that was forced into the Legends continuity as one last hit on Legends. Um, Something that, again, we still don't know about that novel, though I'm assuming the novel will probably handle the same way. It was the fact that this was a Dark Horse comic. By its very nature, by being a comic from Dark Horse, it was going to be Legends continuity. By the virtue of it being uh, an adaptation of Clone Wars scripts, that's what allowed it to be part of the Clone Wars as the Clone Wars essentially gets carried over into story group canon. The question was never, will this be Legends? The question, at least once it became a comic book instead of episodes, the question became, will this be also story group canon? We'd already been told anything Dark Horse has out there as comics was becoming Legends. It was simply a question of, does this count as part of the Clone Wars or just as a comic series as far as whether it carries over into story group canon? Um, so either way, you know, even if it hadn't been part of story group canon or whatever you want to call it, the new canon along with things like Rebels, it was still going to have the wrecking ball effect to that small degree on those particular origins and so forth in the Legends continuity. The chances of it being just story group canon, not Legends at all, were pretty much nil from the get-go. Analyze their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? 
evacuate in our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. We start out with what basically is the opening crawl or opening narration that we would normally get from the Clone Wars, only in this case, it's in the title page, uh, sort of the recap that we see in most Star Wars comics. Into the abyss! Darth Maul has constructed a vast criminal syndicate known as the Shadow Collective. Nice to see that name become canonical, since it was the name that was used within that adaptation by Jason Fry of the Maul episodes back in Season 5. Gathering the galaxy's most feared crime lords, the Black Sun, the Pikes, and even the Mighty Huts have all fallen in line behind the Dark Warrior. Building a base of operations on the corrupt planet of Mandalore, Maul plotted revenge against his many enemies. But Maul's lust for power and conquest has drawn a greater enemy upon him, his former master, Darth Sidious. Judging Maul a threat to his own designs, Sidious defeated his former apprentice, ruthlessly murdering Maul's brother, Savage Opress, and leaving Maul beaten, but, curiously, still alive. And, of course, we move into um, the Stygian system. Uh, the Stygian system has a secret prison in it only known to a few, and we are seeing it here as the prison where Maul is being held. We will see it in Rebels, at least according to what we got in the Rebels visual guide and elsewhere, as the prison that will be holding a Jedi Master we know has survived Order 66 will be showing up in an early episode of Rebels. I believe uh, Return or Rise of the Masters. I don't have the, the list of titles sitting in front of me here. We begin with Maul being questioned, essentially, being uh, uh, taunted, in a sense, by Sidious in his cell at the Stygian prison. Dooku has been summoned, so Dooku shows up and we get to have a little bit of conversation between Sidious and Dooku, but it's in front, at least for a moment, of Maul. So Maul gets a chance to see Dooku, his replacement, to get all angry about it so that he can you know, have that anger carrying him throughout the other three issues. And we find out pretty much immediately that there's a new origin going on for Maul. Because Sidious believes that there's this big threat out there in the form of Mother Talzin. And he says that the fact that Maul lives is proof enough that Grievous failed to destroy her back on Dathomir. Which uh, kind of leaves me scratching my head like, well, wait, what does that have to do with saving him? How did Maul get saved at all by Talzin after the... I mean, granted, he's talking about how Maul managed to survive and be helped by Talzin back when he got his, you know, mechanical legs and everything. Only in this case, it makes it sound when he's speaking as if he's saying Maul lives now since he captured him thanks to Talzin, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, he says, my history, that is Sidious says, my history with the Dathomir witches goes back further than you know. Maul came to me as a child, a not-so-appreciated gift from Mother Talzin. Her spite for me runs deep, and the time has come to deal with her. So we've got this sense that the uh, origin, at least within legends, of uh, Maul's mother spiriting him away from Dathomir to get him into the hands of someone who could take care of him, like the Naboo senator Palpatine slash Sidious, um, is now sort of whitewashed away. It's gone. He was flat out handed over to Sidious by Towson, although we would find well, later that that's not exactly the case when we hear her point of view either. Well, when I look at that, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm still got my legends goggles on and there's a part of me that's like, well, that could kind of work. You know, I mean, we know in Darth Plagueis that that one lady gives him to Palpatine that, that she does it behind Talzin's back. 
So, you know, maybe that is still the, the origin. Maul came to me as a child from that lady. And she was he, he was a not-so-appreciated gift for Mother Talzin. Mother Talzin was pretty pissed off that that girl gave away her son. So her spite for Sidious runs deep because it wasn't a senator because Talzin knew that he was a Sith Lord. So she was double pissed. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a stretch, but I don't necessarily think that it had to be 100% wiped away as of this panel. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see later things start to change. As of this panel, we still have no reason to believe that Maul is actually the son of Towson, that he was the son of this yeah. other woman who is simply taken away. Of course, in this case, it's a gift, a not-so-appreciated gift, presumably by Palpatine, from Towson, which suggests that Towson knew about it in the first place. That's why, to me, it's, it's immediately starting to clash with the whole idea of him being spirited away and given away in secret. And the fact that Palpatine was the one that didn't appreciate him seems a little BS because they talk later about how, you know, Palpatine got with Sidious to mix the magics and stuff. And then he stole her boy because of the power involved. It's like you would think he'd be pretty, pretty happy to, to steal Maul in that regard. Now, we'll say that there are two sides to this story, but neither of which are anything we've ever heard before. Uh, so we, we find that basically the Sith Lords are plotting to take over and bring down Maul's Shadow Collective, his criminal empire. But their bigger goal is to bring down Talzin, who could be a major threat to their designs. As such, they need to use Maul to be able to draw her out. So we see a, a group of Mandalorians, a group of Mandalorians, or Maul-Delorians we sometimes call them, that are loyal to Maul, thanks to him controlling Mandalore. These are people who would have originally been Death Watch and so forth. Um, two of them leading the charge of several as they bring a ship down to break into the prison. Uh, one of them in uh, black armor with some red highlights is Commander Saxon. I'm wondering if Saxon's first name is Anglo. And then we have what we will find is a woman Mandalorian, kind of like Bo-Katan, in red armor trimmed with a little bit of black, named Cast, which almost has to be a deliberate reference or tip of the hat back to Jodo Cast, the Legends continuity imposter of Boba Fett, um, seen in, among other places, the very cool comic Twin Engines of Destruction. Maul, at this point, is bantering and bickering back and forth with Dooku. Uh, Dooku is questioning him. Maul isn't answering a thing until Dooku leaves him alone in his cell. While he's in there, the Mandalorians bust in to save him, take on a bunch of battle droids, and in the process, they managed to save Maul, which is pretty much what the Sith wanted in the first place. Again, so that he could draw out Talzin. And we shift very quickly from a very action-packed escape scene, which doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue. Again, it's written as it would have been a cartoon episode, to uh, the next stage of the process, which is Maul gathering his forces on Xanbar, which, of course, is a planet that we saw uh, when it was somewhat frozen over back in A Friend in Need, when uh, Lux Bonteri tried to join Death Watch. Um, I like the fact that we have a very solid escape sequence here. We've got the repelling wire, uh, Maul sliding down it as they escape from a breach in the wall of the prison. We even get some classic battle droid uh, activities here, where after they get their butts handed to them by the Mandalorians, we have a few standing at the breach saying, should we follow them? And everyone, negative, 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 definitely negative. Uh, it captures that feel of the way action plays out in the Clone Wars pretty well. Yeah, the action and the pacing is awesome in this one. The Maldalorians, I love the look of them. Uh, you know, you got the one with the Maul horns around his helmet. You've got Cast with her uh, owl 
like look that you know Bo-Katan was kind of customary wearing with the red highlights. I love the look of that. I love the way the art plays out here. One thing that I did find a little funny, I mean, knowing that the Sith are trying to let Maul get out, the fact that Dooku at all tells, uh, there's a, a moment where the robots are, you know, they're like, level three has been breached. And he's like, level three? Send a group of destroyers to level seven as well. If someone is attempting to infiltrate the prison, I have a feeling that's where their real target lies. It was like, well, dude, you're, you're trying to let him go. Like, <laughs> why are you trying so hard to keep him in the prison? I mean, I get you're trying to sell it, but you're selling it too well. Uh, but uh, the action, I love the pacing. I like the way it's working in this issue. And and even though they, they spirit him off the planet, the story's not done there in this issue. And I really like that. Like, it's only four issues long, but I felt like each one of these issues were chock full of action. I mean, even when there's not words to come, you know, accompany it, it's moving the plot forward with everything that it's doing. And it had me. I mean, again, you know, when I was looking at this straight from a canon standpoint, I'm loving this story 100%. Now, at Zanbar, we wind up putting Maul back in charge of his forces. Uh, at this point, he is contacted by Prime Minister Almec, of course, back on Mandalore, the man who was ruling essentially in Maul's stead during Maul's imprisonment. And Maul not only has his forces back, but they managed to recover the Darksaber from the palace grounds after the fight that we saw back in Season 5. So Maul is given back his Darksaber as, you know, a symbol of his leadership, as we know from the Mandalorians, but also as, you know, a replacement for the fact that he doesn't have a lightsaber on him, of course, at this point. Now, we learn, as he's gathering his forces, that so are the Separatists. So is uh, Grievous under orders from Dooku. But not to go in and kill Maul. Again, to hurt him. To have him draw out Talzin. Not something that's necessarily all being spelled out for Grievous, except for the whole idea of, you know, weaken him, don't destroy him, weaken his forces, hurt him, then he will do what any child would. He will call for help. And the idea is that that call for help, they think, they assume, will have to be to Mother Talzin. So we have this new battle emerging on Zanbar very, very quickly. The Separatist forces arrive and attack, and it's a ton of Mandalorian ground forces versus a ton of droid forces. Another very cool, very well-played-out action sequence, but there are some moments that had me personally kind of chuckling along and at one point scratching my head. Um, I do like the fact that there is a battle cry for the Shadow Collective now. You know, the war you have wanted your entire lives to fight is upon us, my brothers. Victory or death! And, of course, everybody in the crowd, victory or death, victory or death. And I'm waiting for someone to do the death blossom because that crap is straight out of the last Starfighter. Uh, where's Grig when you need him at this point? Um, <laughs> when the battle itself takes place, there is a head-scratcher of a moment because we really haven't met a lot of these Mandalorians directly, and they certainly haven't been named. So there's one that has the black armor with the red highlights and such to it blasting, who's one of the only ones we hear speaking, you know, you cowards and so forth, as Maul is there, you know, slicing through among others, you know, Magna Guard droids and all that kind of stuff, until finally this character, who for all intents and purposes looks like and should be Saxon, that we met back earlier in the issue, um, says, you know, too afraid to meet me face to face? And winds up fighting directly against Grievous, who impales him with two lightsabers, presumably killing him. I don't see any way the character could have survived. Only Saxon, oh, yeah, he's dead. But Saxon shows up later. 
But this isn't Saxon. If you look, he's got different armor on the on his face mask. He's got little horns on his shoulder pads that Saxon never had. Saxon's armor was more black with red finish. This guy's is more red with black finish. I don't know. I'm just I'm not seeing it. Looking at this. Well, I mean, I'm with you on the aspect. I thought it was Saxon at first, but I had to actually stop and, and compare the two pages, and I was like, oh, okay. Even in comparing the two pages, I'm not seeing enough of a differentiation between the two. I mean, I guess it's it sort of works, but they probably ought to have either made this Saxon or done something where the, the armor color looked different. Uh, because at this point, the few times we see this character who's yelling, you know, you cowards, and then winds up getting stabbed through, he is so similar in look to Saxon that it looks like Saxon himself is dying, although Saxon winds up showing up uh, later in the story. That's sort of the nature of the beast when you're dealing with comic books. If you're dealing with an animated film or an animated cartoon series, it's a consistent character model. The character models always look a certain way. You can always tell in a given shot if you pause it which character's which based on the character model. That's not the way it works in comics. The artist has to draw things consistently and as consistent as they try to be, you know, it's all a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of line choices in the different shots. It's a matter of color choices. I mean, basically in this case, we've got uh, one fig, uh, one Frigeri, I think is how you pronounce it, doing the pencils. You have inks by Moro Vargas. You have colors by Wes Ziobia, and I'm sure I'm butchering those names. So we've got three different people having a hand in the interpretation of these characters, and in this case, the characters look way, way too similar to be able to necessarily easily tell them apart. In any event, Maul jumps in. We get a cool moment of Maul very, very briefly battling Grievous, but finally... Maul's forces are being mowed down like crazy, and he's forced to disengage, call in his gauntlet fighters, those cool VTOL-type uh, ships the Mandalorians have, have it bomb the forces that are left of Grievous, and then Maul with cast, again, with cast, not with Saxon, so it looks like Saxon's dead, um, just escapes so that he can go gather more of his forces. He's needing Black Sun. He's needing the pikes. The huts have already backed away from him at this point. The Mandalorian forces themselves, for the most part, have been decimated. We learn from Grievous as the issue ends that so has Grievous's force. They've all kind of been decimated. But the mission is going exactly as the Sith want. Um, yes, my master feels these attacks will draw her out into the open. And Grievous asks, you know, why would Mother Talzin risk herself? What value does Maul hold for her? Uh, all in good time, General. You will see all in good time. Sounds like exactly where an episode of the series would end. Eh? Da -da, da -da, da -da. And into the music. And, you know, next week we'll pick up with another opening crawl and continue on with the episode. Yeah, you know, I mean, I said it in the spoiler-free part, but this story has kind of felt like it was Talzin's tale. I, as of this point, you, you're gathering that, okay, Maul's just bait. You know, the Sith Lords, they want Talzin. Which, you know, I can get because from the legend side of things, you know, you were waiting for that moment where Talzin became such a threat that Palpatine cordoned off Dathomir. Well, now we got the cannon break, so that's not going to happen. So you still have to address what they're going to do with Talzin. So I, I like that in that aspect that, you know, this is doing that. And it does a great job of doing that in the canon story. Uh, I would say, though, uh, art-wise, one of my standout favorites is Grievous. You know, you mentioned the scene where uh, he attacked the Mandalorian that looked like Saxon. The Mandalorian goes, too afraid to face me? 
too afraid to meet me face to face. And Grievous jumps up, you know, from a distance back to right in front of him. And he, that's when he ignites the two blades through his chest. And he's like, we could do it this way if that's what you desire. And the look of that panel is just glorious. And it's not the only time that they're able to capture Grievous in this light. I love what they've done with Grievous in the art of this series. And it's really working. And in fact, I'm going to point out that I think that this story in canon does what the Gendy series did with Mace Windu and Grievous. Okay, so so this basically, that scene that happens in the Gendy series where Mace rips open Grievous and Grievous gets the cough, this actually has the same purpose. At the very end in, in issue four, we'll see that same kind of thing happen with, with Grievous where he kind of, his whole body gets shooken up. I was like, oh, is that like a clever way of canon saying, hey, this is how he gets the cough? Like, I thought, I, there were a lot of moments where Grievous's character, the fact that, you know, him and Maul were fighting, the fact that him and Dooku have their banter back and forth as we're about to see in the next issue and stuff. I was really enjoying the character interactions of so many different characters in this story that there were so many times that I really felt like Maul was very, very, very minute to the story. The only reason why Maul was needed was the fact that Maul was the bait. I mean, beyond that, Maul didn't have to really be in the story anymore, but I still am enjoying the story. That brings us into issue two, where it looks like both sides have been beaten to a pulp and, and are essentially going back to rally at a new location for yet another battle to come. We get an interesting scene here in which Maul is meditating, and he's seeking the guidance of Mother Talzin. And the last times we'd seen Talzin within the Clone Wars, she'd been mostly in a mist form. She'd been seen back when the Night Sisters were all decimated, uh, the time that sends Asajj Ventress off on her own and everything. And at that point, she escaped essentially in mist form after taking part in the battle in what seemed to be mostly physical form, or at least a mist form that then could become physical form, at least temporarily. Then we wound up seeing something somewhat similar in the disappeared arc of Season 6, where it turns out that uh, Jar Jar's, you know, lady friend and her people were in danger because Talzin had that cult basically trying to steal force essence, the living force from other beings, put it in the orb and do the special stuff with, you know, the aligning planets and blah, 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 to allow Talzin to sort of refuel her force energy, that she is not a natural force practitioner. She draws her force abilities by sucking in the force of others, almost like a spiritual vampire, like some of the Eastern vampires as opposed to the Western blood-drinking vampires in vampire uh, mythology. And that left her defeated at the hands of Mace Windu and Jar Jar, uh, which has to sting. So we last saw her sort of fading away into mist, and there was a thought of, well, maybe that was the end of Talzin. We know now that it wasn't because she's showing up in this, but she last time we saw her was a mist. And turns out, here she is again, as mist, but carried, apparently, within Maul. Whether symbolically because of the magics inside him drawing her to him or what, Maul is meditating and asking for her guidance, and this green mist comes out of him, and out of the mist forms the visage of Mother Talzin, who doesn't seem to actually be there, because he talks about how he wants her to come to him, and she's not because of the whole trap aspect of it, so it seems like the mist is sort of like a long-range communication thing through the Force, through magic, whatever. Um, but it's like he's carrying it within him because he was saved by her back, right, when we saw Savage bring Spider-Maul in and he got fixed and made sane and his legs changed and everything. Um, that in doing that, 
it gave him that green, spiritual, smoky energy inside him. The same thing we saw when he got one of his legs shot off or cut off. Um, that winds up being carried with him now. It's it's odd because it wasn't really something they had really played up in the past. But they have a conversation in which she agrees to send help uh, if he masses on man on a uh, Ord Mantel, which is where he'd be able to join up with his forces from Black Sun and the Pikes, both of whom are still loyal. Uh, Fife leading the Pikes and Zitan Moj still leading the Black Sun forces, and she's going to send some help from Dathomir, but not her. Um, she says, you know, I will not, as far as meeting them there. However, aid from Dathomir shall soon be yours. Our victory will be total and complete. And we're setting the stage for the next battle, because at this point, the Separatists are on their way to Ord Mantell, because they've noticed the Mandalorian ships there massing uh, alongside these other forces. And sure enough, we get the next knockdown, dragout battle, with the additional faction this time, not just of Black Sun and of the Pikes, but interestingly, Knight Brothers. The people sent from Dathomir were Knight Brothers led by Brother Viscus, the one that we met back when Asajj Ventress chose Savage Opress in the first place. And we, we begin the battle with Maul kind of in an odd way sort of looking up and saying, I sense the droids are here. And it's a cool way of saying, uh-oh, because then up above, immediately the ships emerge from hyperspace and begin bombarding the planet. But at the same time, the Legends continuity fan in me is saying, wait, Maul is sensing droids? Is this some kind of spidey sense or something? Because generally within Legends continuity, since droids are devoid of the Force, they can be manipulated with it, but they're much more like, say, the Yuzhan Vong in that you're not necessarily going to sense a droid's presence in the Force because they don't have the living Force to them. Well, maybe it's Dooku. Maybe he's putting out a presence that's able to be felt like Vader and Luke felt each other in uh, Return of the Jedi. That would be my hope. Or maybe Grievous, because Grievous isn't entirely a droid or anything. But what he says is, I'm sensing the droids are here. Uh, not really. Probably you're sensing something that's alive. Um, but it's interesting, the fact that basically what you've got here is Talzin playing her cards very close to the chest. If this really is essentially Talzin's story, uh, and the trap is meant for Talzin, Talzin isn't falling for it initially. It would be very easy for this story to fall into the standard trope of, of, oh, you know, uh, someone is wounded, now they're calling in help, and aha, that springs the trap. Um, the bad guys are always just so dumb that they fall into traps, even set by other bad guys. Not this time. Talzin, in this case, isn't willing to fall into the trap, so she sends help but doesn't come herself. Um, it certainly would have made for a shorter story if she had come immediately. Uh, I do have to say it's pretty cool the fact that they make her out to be not really Sith level in her machinations, but close enough that she's not going to fall for the same type of stuff that most people seem to when the Sith manipulate a situation. Yeah, you know, I kind of got a feeling like, like, maybe she was something closer to the ones. I mean, there's a moment where, where Dooku's talking to Grievous and he goes, Talus is an older and fouler creature than you guess, General. Her power runs deep. Her teachings, her magic were sought out by my master. They were once allies. Now her meddling could compromise all of our designs. She must be destroyed. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, is Talzin's appearance, is that, is that the fail? I mean, when I think about season six of the Clone Wars and everything that was going on with her, that that this comic is drawing on, 
it was never clear in the TV show that what the comic says happened is what happened. Like, I, I don't remember her sacrificing her physical form to bring Maul to life and, and you know, this kind of stuff. I'm like, wait, what? And, and, and wait, what's going on with the mist? Like that stuff wasn't really described enough to, to keep me going with that. And then there's the aspect, you know, of, of, okay, if, as we get to in the next issue, if Talzin is Maul's mom, what the heck does that make Maul? And getting to that issue one aspect is like, you know, if she's some creature that's, you know, super powerful and stuff, then, then it stands to reason that Maul would be something that would be a good thing for the Sith to have. I don't know. I go back and forth when it lies, when it relies to that. But another thing that I wanted to bring up too was the Darksaber. You know, in the last issue, uh, it was handed back to Maul, but I remember at the end of season six of that episode, or no, it was season five in the Lawless when Sidious walks away and he's like, you know, I have plans for you. I thought for sure Sidious was going to walk away with the Darksaber there. Like, why would you leave that behind? Like, that that was something that struck me as odd. But I did like the fact that, that Talzin, you know, she's trying to lure the Sith into the same trap that the Sith are trying to lure him them into. So in all intents and purposes, both sides are trying to get to the same confrontation that we're going to get to at the end. So I like the way that that's playing out, the back and forth there in that regard. Yeah, regarding the Darksaber, maybe he left it because he was one of those fans that just doesn't like the book. Now, Legends <laughs> continuity fans are probably saying, oh, 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 and those who have only watched the cartoons are going, what the heck's the Darksaber? It was a book by Kevin J. Anderson that was panned by many. Um, I personally didn't like it all that much until I actually talked to the man and understood why he did certain things in the book the way that he did. Um, as for if he's the, the son of Talzin, which we'll get to here pretty soon, uh, yes, what does it make him? I'll tell you one thing, it definitely makes him, it makes him a real son of a witch. Anyway, um, so we continue on into the battle itself. The battle, like most good Star Wars battles, has multiple fronts to it. Uh, Dooku leads a bunch of Magna Guards down into the actual base on Ord Mantell. He's thinking that Talzin is there. Apparently they can't sense the fact that she's not. Um, but he's there trying to find Talzin, winds up running into Brother Viscus and the Knight Brothers, who manage to battle him to the point where he is eventually, uh, he's victorious against the Knight Brothers, but he's surrounded by Mandalorian troops and winds up being taken into custody anyway. Meanwhile, up in space, Maul's space forces have been in hiding. Now they emerge and they attack uh, Grievous's vessel, including a ship, a Mandalorian ship, being flown again by cast with Maul aboard. And they manage to get aboard Grievous's flagship while there's a battle taking place between droids and sort of generic Mandalorians, Black Sun, and, and Pikes on the ground. Although it appears that Fife dies, the leader of the Pikes, this new leader of the Pikes, because we had another leader of the Pikes recently get killed in the Clone Wars. And then we have Maul getting aboard the ship itself and taking on and capturing Grievous, uh, actually having the, the Darksaber to his throat. And of course now Dooku as well being captured. So we're wrapping up this second confrontation instead of with a standoff where both sides essentially get decimated but neither side can really claim victory. Now Maul's forces have managed to capture the two biggest game pieces that Sidious has on the table really. Grievous and Dooku both. Um, he finally announces his success to Talzin who again emerges from a green mist that apparently again emerges from Maul's chest, and he says, uh, Dooku and Grievous have been captured. We now control their forces. You have done well, my son. 
Soon Sidious will follow, and together we will have our revenge. And of course, we move on into issue two. Although you have to wonder, I'm sorry, you capture Dooku, you capture Grievous. It's sort of Clone Wars-style storytelling logic that that somehow puts all of the droid forces under Grievous and Dooku, somehow under the command of Maul. How exactly does that work? Unless it literally is a matter of he's got their ships and now he controls the command codes or something for the droids. Because were this any other army, it would make no sense whatsoever, unless we're talking old school medieval times and some of the screwy situations that happened then, that capturing the leaders of an army means that army has to join you. I mean, is Maul Napoleon or something? Yeah, that one was a little weird. Like, does Grievous have, like, a special chip that allows him to override everybody around him? Because <laughs> that seems like a flaw waiting to be exploited. Uh, another angle that I really liked about this issue, too, was was you're starting to see the dissension in the Shadow Conspiracy. Uh, there's a scene where Saxon and, you know, the two leaders are up against a wall. And so Moj, is, he's like, this isn't a counterattack, it's a slaughter. And then Fee's like, it's right. I don't know what Lord Maul's big plan is, but it's not working. Rain it in, soldier. We don't question the strategy. We ensure its success. And, of course, and that's where Fee, he ends up dying because a, a droid busts through the wall and takes him down off the cliff, which is kind of cool. But you're starting to see they're kind of chafing under Maul. And I like the way that that's slowly building up, that they're doing the touchstone to it right now here in issue two. It'll play up more through three and come to a head in four. Yeah, the huts have already left him. So now he's at these other two parts of his empire, two out of three, I guess if you count the Mandalorians as a separate faction here. And there is some dissent within the ranks, which only makes sense because, you know, they only joined him because of threat in the first place. They got their own holdings, their own people, uh, their own prophets, in a sense, that they really need to be wary of. That moves us into issue number three, and this is where things really sort of take an odd detour. Not quite as odd as we got with the uh, the piece of the droids arc right the uh not quite as much a departure as say sunny day in the void but this is where it really feels like it's a four episode arc of the clone wars cartoon series yes we essentially have uh the first two issues which feel like parts one and two of one tale with the same focal characters throughout and now we get issue three and in a big way the focus shifts to the jedi who haven't appeared in the previous two issues at all and won't appear in the fourth. Uh, we find that there are reports of what's been going on on Ord Mantell, including Maul. And this is being relayed, apparently, not from the Jedi to Palpatine, but from Palpatine to the Jedi, uh, suggesting that perhaps this is the rogue Sith they've been searching for. Perhaps it's Maul. And the Jedi uh, initiate plans to try to take down Maul and perhaps use him to get to Dooku, etc., etc., to possibly end the Clone Wars, not realizing, of course, that Palpatine is Sidious and really is the one controlling all of this. Apparently, and I asked uh, Jeremy Barlow about this, this story is meant to take place later in Season 6 than what we got with Season 6 of the Clone Wars on Netflix, and now, of course, other media and hopefully on home video soon. The issue that this brings up is the fact that they're talking about needing to find this other Sith. And by the end of this issue, Mace Windu and the Jedi will be at least somewhat convinced that the two Sith are Maul 
and Dooku, and that there isn't a Sidious out there they need to search for. Which begs the question, if this is supposedly after the Yoda arc in Season 6, does that mean that Yoda told them nothing about what he saw in his visions? Because Yoda very plainly saw a second Sith hooded, uh, I believe heard the name Sidious at different points. Yeah. And yet, I mean, unless he's assuming that there's another Sith name for Maul, that he's not just Maul, but he's also known as Sidious or something, and that... Uh, the man with the old man chin inside the robes and such that he kept seeing when he was battling him within the visions uh, is somehow Maul in disguise or something. It doesn't make sense for the Jedi to write off the idea of the possibility of another Sith. Although, if this is meant to sort of end that whole issue of, well, what about the two Sith, it does kind of leave you scratching your head in light of Revenge of the Sith. Because in Revenge of the Sith, they are still assuming there is another Sith out there they are trying to identify. So perhaps what's happening here is initially they're thinking this may be the two, but Yoda finally pipes up in something we see off screen saying, uh, oh, it's two, there are, but apparently three this time. All screwed up, it is confusing, it is, but Sidious, old man with old man chin, old man voice and cloak I saw, not Maul, ah! Or something. <laughs> because otherwise, the the end of this issue and the way things play out in Revenge of the Sith will not be internally consistent from Lucas's storytelling perspective. Um, this can't be where they simply decide there is no other Sith to look for if they're still looking for the identity of that other Sith as we move into Revenge of the Sith. Uh, but I guess I'm sort of getting ahead of myself. So the Jedi decide to send teams to deal with this. You got Ayla Secura and a very poorly drawn Mace Windu, who at some points looks like he's uh, a Nosferatu at different uh, angles, especially when they try to show him from a little bit of an angle above as we near the end of the issue. And then Obi-Wan, who has faced Maul before multiple times, is going into battle with Tipley beside him. Of course, Tipley of the Tipley and Tiplar duo that showed up back in the Order 66 arc of Season 6, uh, where, of course, Tiplar got killed as the story began. Now we've got Tip Lee here, who is a character created for the Clone Wars, initially for the Clone Wars, only for the Clone Wars, which basically means you can bet that if anybody's going to die from the Jedi side, it's going to be her. We're going to create <laughs> cool characters for the Clone Wars and kill them off uh, before the Clone Wars ends, uh, with most respects, which sort of works from a Legends continuity standpoint because it means that there aren't characters you got to then keep track of what happens to them later, um, but at the same time, it's that same thing that we dealt with a lot when talking about the Clone Wars back on Republic Forces Radio Network. A lot of times they'll create cool characters only for them to only show up for a little while and then be killed off. Frankly, the fact that she shows up here at all rather than only showing up in the Order 66 arc and then essentially disappearing was kind of surprising. Um, but she is back. Tipley is back working with Obi-Wan. From the Sith perspective, as these groups are going to go off trying to hunt down Maul, um, from the Sith perspective, we have sort of an interesting dynamic going on here in that Maul is able, a former Sith, if you want to call him that, is able to lord over the fact that he's captured Dooku and Grievous when talking to Sidious. Sidious, for his part, says he has no use for either of them and to go ahead and kill them. Um, yeah, Maul is really picking up with this whole, I'm trying to get revenge for Talzin thing, which didn't seem to be the case in any of his previous appearances in Clone Wars. It seemed to be more about vengeance for him. Uh, yeah. But he's saying, you know, that only proves your their weakness, not my own. What are your demands? Not my demands. Mother Towson's. Yes, you remember the mother. No, he says the mother, not my mother yet. 
She was your ally, but you used her as you used me before throwing us both away. As you will these two. Um, and he's looking for vengeance, again, for him and for Talzin. Uh, he winds up essentially just having Grievous thrown into the brig, and he spends most of the issue trying to convince Dooku that he really should work with Maul instead of working with Sidious. You know, Mother Towson has shown me the real power. I have seen the truth. Sidious is weaker than we realize. He fears Mother. And that, with our combined strength, will be his undoing. Um, and he reveals Towson's spirit. Again, Towson's spirit emerges from Maul's chest as this green mist and speaks directly to Dooku. So it's not a vision that only... Maul is seeing when this kind of stuff happens. It's something that apparently anyone around can see. It's a physical presence, albeit in sort of a ghostly spectral form. And this is where she leaves uh, an interesting impression on the Legends continuity, at least, in that she reveals that Maul is her son. She says, forgive our previous disagreements talking to Dooku. You are only following your master's will. Sidious is deceiving you as he once deceived me. Then you know to betray the Dark Lord is folly. No, Count. To betray oneself is the ultimate defeat. Getting deep into we need a fortune cookie at the beginning of the episode territory. Sidious seduces you with promises of power, but he already seeks to replace you. Of course, looking at Anakin. Uh, long ago, Sidious came to me on Dathomir. We exchanged secret wisdom, mingled dark side abilities with night sister magics. He promised to make me his right hand. So there was a point at which Dooku's position was supposed to be held by Talzin. But instead, he stole what was most dear to me, my own flesh and blood, my son. So now we get the other side of this, where it's not a not-so-appreciated gift from Talzin, but unless it was something where he, she handed him over for training, and then uh, Sidious just took him, as opposed to still working with her. But he basically kidnaps Maul. Maul? Your son? Yes, Count. When Sidious realized Maul's potential, he took him from me and trained him as a Sith. When he was no longer useful, Maul was left to die. Look at him. Look at my son and see your own future. Sidious will betray you as he betrayed us, but I will honor our alliance should you accept it. Join us. Together we can destroy Sidious and rule the galaxy, or you can choose to die here alone. Huge bombshell for both continuities. Maul is Towson's son. She is Mother Towson in more ways than one. She is actually Maul's mother, which in theory, because... Maul's brother is Savage Opress, and Maul's brother had a brother when we met him, Feral, that he had to kill, suggests that either Maul is half-brothers with Savage Opress and Feral, or all three of them were children directly of Mother Towson. Which again, it's going to contradict what we got a little bit with the scene in Darth Plagueis, the novel for the Legends continuity, of how it is that Maul got into Sidious's hands. After that, everything else can stay the same because we get his training from a very, very young age. It's just a question of how did he get to Sidious's hands at that young age. Not a huge issue, but yes, it's a contradiction. The bigger picture here, though, is this puts Towson into a different context than we've ever seen her. I never noticed anything in the Clone Wars cartoon series that should ever have hinted at the idea that Mother Towson was the mother of Maul, let alone the possibility of being the mother of all three of them. This feels like sort of Lucas doing what he did with Luke and Leia being brother and sister. He decides, after he's already had them kiss, you know, I think it'd be cool to make them brother and sister. Um, or changing the ages and circumstances of certain characters for the prequels, 
after he'd already said things about it and given information to Lucasfilm about certain aspects of their past so they could use it in the official continuity back in the early 90s before making the prequels. Um, this really has the feeling to me not of something that was built into the continuity from the start, something Lucas was always intending to have revealed in the series, and instead being something where Lucas one day was sitting back and said, hey, you know what would be cool? Let's make Mother Towson actually his mother. And it just got thrown into these episodes. Maybe I'm cynical, but it really doesn't feel like something that got any type of buildup in the past. No, I'm with you on that cynicism. I, I cannot look at this from the legend standpoint and see her being truthful. I mean, to me, she's trying to sell Dooku on, you know, we need to get together. And what better way than to be like, hey, you know, I was going to be number two. And then he took my own son because that's all he's about. That city is he's all about replacing us with new people. And that's what he's going to do to you. See, he did it to me. He took my own son. I And I think, you know, I think that that Dooku's able to buy the lie. But I because in a lot of ways, she's telling the truth because she calls them all her son. I, I, I'm beginning to think less and less that Savage and Maul were actually brothers I think that they were only brothers in the aspect that they were night brothers. Um, but yeah, that's that's the flaw here. And I think that that comes down to, to just really lousy aspect of, of Lucas's storytelling. Uh, I, I go back and forth on that. I really, truly think in the Legends aspect, though, that, that she was full on lying. Uh, I can't see any other way around it. But I, I do go back to the scene where, where Maul's talking to Sidious. And Sidious goes, kill them. I have no more use for either one of them. And Maul's holding the lightsaber out above Dooku's neck. And he goes... So be it, since new apprentices are apparently so easy to find. I just wonder, you know, what would Sidious have done had Maul killed Dooku and then taken, you know, Grievous down? Where would you have gone with that? Like, that was a big gamble that, you know, either Sidious, again, has the uncanny ability to look through the future and know exactly how things are going to fall. And I bring that up because at the end of issue four, he says something similar to Dooku about Maul. And he goes, uh... You know, Maul or uh, Dooku says Maul has once more slipped through our gasp. No count. Everything happened as foreseen. This was a difficult piece to maneuver, but now it is in place. Maul's future has been erased while ours is more certain than ever, which, you know, it makes me wonder, like, you know, is he able to foresee almost all of this? Like how far into the future is Sidious seeing? And of those futures, you know, unlike Yoda, always oh, in motion, the future is. Does he have a way that like highlights which future is, has got a higher probability of coming true? I mean, I mean, there seems to be some serious forethought there on Sidious's end. Yeah, I like the idea. I mean, okay, Legends continuity, yes. There's the contradiction angle to things here. And no, it didn't seem like this was something ever really telegraphed in the series. But from a story group canon standpoint, when it's just this, there's no other backstory to it. What you see is what you get within this. I think in that sense, it works to make it be that Maul is her son and to have Savage O'Press be, unless it's, you know, Savage O'Press and Feral are, you know, half-brothers, different mother, same father or something, though it begs the question of who is Maul's father and so forth. Um, well, I is, think it, or is Talisman... Or tells me one of those creatures that she can breed with any species, and all the Night Brothers are her kids. I just the, the Parthenogenesis that got you know the original troll who's no longer a troll it seems, uh, crapping on Chrono Radio back in the day. How dare you use that big word for you know asexual reproduction? You know, it's kind of stuff. Um, that I can see maybe, but but one way or the other, what you've got here is another family connection. 
And Star Wars, in a lot of ways, at least Lucas's Star Wars, not the expanded universe stuff, not the stuff that's being created, even now that he's gone by Filoni and company, Star Wars under Lucas was always something where he constantly looked to find familial connections between characters. I mean, heck, you've even got the connection we never expected, at least before the prequels. We got Jango Fett as the father of Boba Fett showing up, the fact that Boba Fett's going to show up even more, of course, and the fact that now both of them are essentially genetic fathers in a sense, uh, or brothers, or whatever you want to call them, uh, identical twins, with all the clones that are out there and so forth. And this question of can clones have families, like with Cut Laquane uh, back in The Deserter and so forth in The Clone Wars. Uh, he tends to look to find ways to make familial connections to make these stories feel more personal. And while this is kind of an odd way of doing it without any kind of lead into it, um, it is something that makes this a more personal tale. It turns Mother Towson into someone who's just a big bad into a concerned mother. Uh, as we will find at the end of the story, she has sort of her Vader-facing Palpatine in Return of the Jedi type of moment, just without the no, no kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. um, in that sense, it works, and it gives more motivation to Maul. Because Maul stops being this singular creature of an enemy who's out for revenge for himself, who is a used tool, who now wants to be the one doing the using, to being someone who has that familial connection. One of the things I've always said is most interesting about Anakin is his psychology of being someone who, as a child, is raised as a slave, has no father, uh, has no father to even be spoken of at that point, gets taken away at that young age from the only parent his mother that he's ever known, isn't able to get back to her, has her die in his arms, he's constantly being told he's the chosen one and yet being held back to Jedi standards and so on and so on, that he is this very repressed, psychologically screwed up guy. And that made him all the more interesting. Maul is now getting a level of that type of, not really dysfunction, but the familial tie taken from a mother when he was young, manipulated and changed by Sidious, the new father figure, and abandoned, and now he's essentially fighting for the other parent, the one that has shown concern for him, even if only for her own machinations to some extent, in recent years. So, Legends continuity, yeah, it's a bit of a head-scratcher and kind of a headache because, again, it's Clone Wars rewriting continuity. But for story group canon, as we go forward into things like Rebels, I think this actually adds depth to what would otherwise have been a, a less involving tale, for lack of a better term. Um, I don't necessarily want to wind up finding out that, you know, Maul and Cast and Saxon are all related, and it would be a bad thing to have it turn out that Grievous is related to three or four Jedi, and that's where he got his first lightsabers and stuff, just because, <laughs> hey, let's make some familial ties. But this is a familial tie that, while unexpected, I think works within that context. Yeah, I just don't want to have a story where Maul and Ventress go off on a tail, you know, they have an adventure, they kiss, and then find out they're brother and sister. Oh... That would be bad. Uh, or, or worse yet, we wind up having them have children only to later find out that they are <laughs> brother and sister. Yeah. Oh. From Alabama, we are. Blung, 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 blung. Anyway, um, I know I'm in Georgia right now, so Alabama is the butt of jokes. If I was in Indiana, I would have said Kentucky. Nothing against Alabama. Just say it is the uh, the state-to-state -state rivalry crap Rivalry's that makes the jokes <laughs> funny. Um, so the Jedi wind up reaching this asteroid-based base which is where Maul has taken Dooku and Grievous. Uh, 
Duke, who is able to use the Force to flip a switch, somehow he knows which switch it is, on the control console, to release Grievous and allow Grievous to basically battle through a whole bunch of Mandalorians and escape in a small escape pod-type craft. Meanwhile, the Republic is attacking, and a Force that initially arrives is led by Obi-Wan, Tipley, Cody, and a crap ton of clone troopers who charge inside, and this is the moment that Dooku has to choose. We've been boarded! Two Jedi have been spotted in Hangar 3! What's it going to be, Count? Allies or death? And Dooku's answer, let us go kill some Jedi together. Very much a Lucas-sounding line, uh, for better or worse. Uh, wise decision. And Dooku and Maul charge into battle together against this newly arrived Republic force. We get some cool sequences. Would have been even cooler had it, of course, been a cartoon as opposed to just being in comic form where it's still panels. Uh, Mace Windu and Aayla Secura arrive uh, as the battle is about to begin, so that introduces two more combatants into this. Of course, the only one of these that could die is Tipley because everybody else is seen later, and except, I guess, for Maul, but, of course, Maul has to survive at least until the last issue. And we get this cool sequence in which they're battling until uh, a Mandalorian steps in and is able to launch a missile into the center of them, causing enough of a distraction to allow Maul and Cast and Dooku to escape aboard one of the gauntlet fighters, you know, to fight another day and scheme another day. But in the midst of this battle, we do get the death of Tipley. Uh, most folks could have probably seen that coming miles away. Oh, look, let's bring in this character only created for the Clone Wars. Of course, she's probably going to be the one that's going to die if anyone is. Uh, but I find it interesting that she dies in a way somewhat similar to the way that Satine was killed, in that she's run through by a lightsaber, and it's done through pulling the character through the air, through the mm -hmm. Force. In this case, Dooku grabs her, yanks her toward him, ignites his lightsaber, and she is impaled on it as she comes belly first at him. Um, and, and, it's, and her death... It, the way that Obi-Wan is drawn here, I, mean, I know he's supposed to be angry and anguished and, and saddened by the fact that another Jedi has just been killed, but the, the look of absolute anguish and desperation on Obi-Wan's face as she's killed and the next time we see him as he's holding her dead body really makes me think that this is specifically designed to evoke Satine's death and have mm -hmm. that memory and the situation that still involves Maul be something that's really tearing at Obi-Wan more so than we ever get with any dialogue. No, I'm I'm 100% with you on that. I mean, when Dooku pulls the maneuver, I mean, he he just gets done electrocuting, you know, he's blasting Sith lightning at him. Obi-Wan and and Tipley, they both are blocking it. And then of course he goes, "Come here, little Jedi." He grabs her and pulls her and you see her doing the flinging forward and then he ignites the blade as he says, "I have something to show you." It ignites it through her chest. Yeah, when Kenobi's screaming Master Tipley, yeah, you can see the tears in the corner of his eye, all of that. The, the level of just, wow. Th this is the aspect of the story that are really hitting. I mean, they are firing on all pistons at this point, and I'm loving it. Going back a second, though, to to as Grievous is escaping, you know, I love the, the dialogue there. You know, he's like, oh, Count Dooku, you're not worthless after all. And then as he's fighting the Maldalorians, he's like, those of you who could still run, return to your master. And then he, the next scene, and it's a glorious scene. He's got blood on the on the claws of his hands, and he's got blood splattered up on his face with the word crunch underneath it. And he says, and tell him to send more men. And then, he, of course, he looks over and sees an escape pod. Oh, how convenient. And gets in and escapes. And I'm just like, ah. Classic Grievous, man. Escaping in the, in the pod. 
But yeah, there there are all these classic moments that that tie into what you've seen in the Clone Wars that are being represented here. Just just like what you mentioned with Kenobi, and as I'm saying with with you know Grievous escaping in the escape pod, you know Barlow nails it in that regard. There's a lot of really good stuff going on, and then there's that aspect, you know, like w- w- which we mentioned about the the confusing parts of where it doesn't quite jive with not only itself with the canon and what you've seen on the Clone Wars, but also with Legends. I think a lot of the Mother Talos and stuff. I could have probably accepted it more for canon had they had some pretense or some lead up in the Clone Wars. You know, when Maul was was being brought back to life for the legs or whatever, had towels and said, you know, this is going to take a lot out of me. This is going to cost me my physical form. Something like that, because I felt like so much of this story when it came to towels was delivered here, but it was supposed to be implied back then. And I was I never saw those implications. So it was really hard to swallow for a lot of what was going on with Talzin's character. But the main core characters, you know, the the Dooku, uh, Maul, Grievous, that kind of stuff, man, Barlow is hitting it on all cylinders. And even Kenobi. I am in that regard with you, uh, you know, after Kenobi and them drop out of the story, I was I was really upset by that. I, I was kind of like, you know, yeah, they were brought in. And that's where I felt like, you know, there's got to be more to the story coming down the road because it, it felt like such a lead-up but no delivery. It definitely had that Empire Strikes Back ending. So we move into a final conversation at issue number three. And this is the one that's used to basically wrap up the Jedi aspect of this story, where the whole thing just completely switches perspective, drops the Jedi entirely, and focuses in on basically the climactic confrontation between the Sith and the people of Dathomir, talking about Maul, uh, his people, plus also, of course, Talzin. We have a communication coming in during which Chancellor Palpatine, in his office on Coruscant, is speaking with a Nosferatu that looks somewhat like Mace Windu via hologram. I think it's supposed to be Mace Windu, but wow, the artwork really missed the mark on this one. Um, but it just you'll see the image if you're looking through the comic book. It definitely looks like he's supposed to be a Nosferatu-type character. Um, but we get this odd, quick little snippet of conversation that is meant to sort of wrap this all up for the Jedi. It pains me to hear of this tragedy, says Palpatine. And Mace Windu answers, It appears that Count Dooku and Darth Maul are allies now, which could solve a long-standing mystery, which is that Dooku is the Sith Master we have been seeking all along, and Maul is the Apprentice. Fascinating. Still, is there no explanation for the battle on Ord Mantell? How can they be enemies one moment and allies the next? A deception, perhaps? A puzzle, to be sure. Well, you've done all you can. It is unfortunate that this opportunity slipped through your fingers. I fear in the end it could prove disastrous for the Republic. And goodbye, Jedi, as we move into issue number four. Uh, Not sure the issue needed Jedi, but again, that's the feel you get based on this being based on Clone Wars scripts. You have these episodes that are somewhat self-contained in the show, in comic form, you expect the, th- the storylines to have more of a through line for all the characters throughout the entire miniseries. But if this is thought of as an arc of the Clone Wars cartoon series, we're kind of true to form, even if it is a little bit on the odd side. Yeah, okay, when this scene happened, I, I kind of felt like Sidious was trying to get the Jedi to stop looking for him. You know, here's my opportunity to to take the two Sith that they know about and kind of make the Jedi tie it together. You know, hey, you didn't kill them all like you thought. No, you know, Tyrannus is the master. But with what we get from Yoda, I, I truly think that, that that wasn't the case. I think that the Sith 
or not the Sith. I think the Jedi knew there was something more going on. I, I don't think they bought it, but I don't know. I mean, Mace obviously did at this point. He hadn't talked to Yoda, I would assume. But again, it gets me to that aspect of, you know, what more were they planning with this? It, it definitely felt like there was a whole other side of the story that has yet to be told. This, too, is another one of those angles. I love the way that the Lost One tied all that together. You're Tyrannus. I mean, that was like such a brilliant moment. And this has that feel, but it doesn't quite line up. Wish you would have talked to me before taking that call from Palpatine. I do. <laughs> so we go into issue number four, the climactic part here. And I think this, because it is the climax of this story and essentially what appears to be the end of Maul's run with the Clone Wars, it probably deserves to have its opening uh, crawl, so to speak, noted here. Uh, evil alliances. Darth Maul operates from the shadows, carrying out Mother Talzin's plan for revenge against Darth Sidious. After capturing General Grievous and Count Dooku, Maul threatens to render Sidious's droid army leaderless and ineffective. As this power struggle gains the Republic's attention, the Jedi, led by Obi-Wan Kenobi, boldly attempt to capture all of their enemies at once and end the Clone Wars. As the Jedi attack, Dooku frees Grievous and joins forces with Maul. Together, they escape capture and chart their course for Dathomir where Talzin awaits them. Presumably, but hasn't Talzin been a mist hiding in Maul's chest? Or something? Throughout the last few issues? In any event, Maul is still having trouble holding together his Shadow Collective. The Pikes, uh, Black Sun, they're not seeing real profit in what amounts to Maul's own personal crusade in this case. But they're willing to stick around at least for now. Because once Sidious is taken out, they are promised all this power, glory, money, etc., etc. Now, Maul at this point reveals that he recognizes that Dooku joining him was never something that was real. Uh, what would you know of control, Count? Our alliance has been Sidious's will all along. He has instructed you to play this game, but you've been outmatched. Okay, didn't really get any hint of that back in the previous issue, but that works. That explains Dooku supposedly switching sides, he really didn't, and they make their way to Dathomir, where they meet up with Brother Viscus, who was already back there with other Knight Brothers, and Maul takes Dooku to this sort of inner sanctum, this old, run-down, temple-looking structure, presumably similar to or the same place that we saw when Towson repaired Maul. And there's this for lack of a better term, like a little monument, tombstone-looking thing. Um, basically, uh, one almost triangular block of stone with a piece on top that looks like horns, essentially. And Maul places his hand on it. says, Great Mother, hear our prayer. Diviner of truth, deliverer of justice, reveal yourself. And out of that, we see this reflection inside of Talzin, as if she's like stuck inside a mirror. And she emerges in this green energy mist again. My son is right, Count. It is time to eliminate everything that gives Sidious power, beginning with you. And she basically goes to possess Dooku. Um, the spiritual energy uh, whips around and goes into Dooku's body uh, to control him. That was kind of a surprise to me. Uh, oh, okay. It was sort of a surprise. They... They gave it away in the solicitation text for the issue when doing the previews of it. But it was a surprise when I saw it in the previews that it was going to be in the issue. <laughs> the idea of Talzin, 
Now, the idea of Towson as a mist, we've seen before. The idea of Towson being carried as a mist inside another person, apparently, or at least linked with the mist inside another person, we've seemingly got with Maul the last few issues, though it's never really explained. Now we see this other source for where her spirit can be tapped from, but the fact that this mist can actually make her like a possessing spirit. Um, that I thought was an interesting twist. Yeah, I, and again, the art here, I, I just can't say enough about the art. I really enjoy how it's working. I like the way the mist takes shape. I like the fact that they showed her coming forth, you know, you know, being revealed. It did, though, make me question why all of a sudden now she's coming through that versus Maul. But again, it, it leaves me wondering, you know, what more about Talzin? Like, there's a backstory there that uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, when we get the Ventress and Voss story, maybe some of this stuff will get answered there. I pray because there's so much more about this character that I would love to know. You know, when Dooku talks about her being an older and fouler creature, what does that mean? You know, I mean, what, where, you know, what is the family dynamic? How is this working? All these kind of things that this comic has added to it. I would really love to see explored more in canon. We know what she is, though. She's one of those witches of the mist. For those who listen to Republic Forces Radio Network. Um, all right. So. She's taking over Dooku, but it's a long process. She's basically draining his life force, just like what we saw back in the Disappeared arc. Draining his life force so that her spirit, in this mist and energy form, can eventually retake physical form entirely. Now, we are going to find as we go through here that it's explained that the reason why this happened was that she had to, as, as Ma will tell Dooku, Mother sacrificed much of her own form to resurrect me. This is why you've been unable to detect her. Now, one, there was no resurrection. Maul wasn't dead when Towson helped him and turned him from, from crazy spider Maul into robot leg quasi-sane Maul. So there really is no resurrection here unless he's going for a figurative rather than a literal sense. We never really got a sense, though, within the span of the Clone Wars that she somehow lost physical cohesion because of what she gave to Maul to help him. It seemed like it was a great effort that she needed to do, and we saw yeah. her more doing the missed stuff after that, but never did there ever seem to be a hint that that was why she was losing physical form, or that she really had lost physical form and was mostly missed really until the disappeared arc. Even when she was battling on Dathomir, it didn't seem like that had sapped her of too much of her powers because she was still pretty freaking powerful at that point. It has the feel again of something that Lucas decided to introduce into the story after the other episodes already were presented, and he just decided to kind of change directions with it. It works, with a little bit of, uh, you know, see, there's stuff you didn't know kind of retconning going on in the background, but not so much from the standpoint of making sense with what we actually saw on screen. Uh, but that is why she's entering Dooku's body. So Dooku's kind of writhing at this point, and uh, it's not so much that he is being possessed and controlled just yet, so much as it's like her spirit is inside his body, sapping the energy to make herself more and more able to retake physical form. I don't know. To me, it's a cool concept, but again, just like the whole Mother Towson Sun Maul thing, it doesn't logically seem to play with what we saw before from a story group or a Legends continuity perspective this time around. 
Well, one thing that also gets me excited in the scene, you know, Maul's talking to Dooku and he goes, for her, a complete and permanent return to the physical realm requires great sacrifice through your blood and new power will rise from the roots of Dathomir. And the physical realm, you know, I mean, the fact that Maul's talking about it like that and that we're actually witnessing, you know, a character trying to access the physical realm from what I must assume is the spirit realm, you know, it, is like, is this, are we seeing a force ghost that's not dead? You know, has she left her physical body? Is she doing what Yoda has done in a sense? Like, what is going on here? There is that, yeah, the, I keep getting back to that. I want to know more about what's going on. I, I Just using this to tell the story and move forward isn't enough. I mean, these concepts are so big, you got to give me some detail here. You've created more mystery by showing me this stuff than anything. I mean, you haven't answered much, but you've given me a heck of a lot more than I'm asking about. And I really want to know, are we going to get this in the Voss and, and Ventress story? It's a cool concept. It just didn't seem like it had much in the way of a, a lead-up to any of this. Although, I guess we should be very glad that we didn't see happen what we postulated at different points, uh, I believe on this show and on Republic Forces Radio Network, which was the possibility that they were going to turn around and say that of the ones, right, from the uh, the Mortis trilogy, father, son, and daughter, that Towson was going to turn out to be the mother. Thankfully, we don't get anything like that here. Though, of course, one wonders where the series would have gone if it had gone another couple of seasons, as it seems like they had already broken some stories for future seasons beyond season six. Well, but wouldn't that, I mean, that could still be the case because, I mean, we now have Dooku saying she's an older, fouler creature and Legends no longer counts. So Ableth no longer is the mother that, that we had in canon. They could easily try saying that she's the mother down the road and that she was kicked out of Mortis and, and was left behind on Dathomir. And interestingly, that wouldn't necessarily even screw up things with Legends continuity because that would presumably Clone War stuff would be still in both um, because Avaloth wasn't really the mother per se. She was like the servant who wanted to become the mother, the surrogate mother or the uh, the stepmother type figure. So the actual mother, if there was a mother, um, we've never really gotten much of an inkling about. In any yeah. event, kind of going off on a tangent there, um, Sidious has arrived. Grievous has made it all the way back to Coruscant hooked up with Sidious, and they have taken off for Dathomir in what appears to be the scimitar, Darth Maul's Sith Starfighter. But it's not painted black. It appears to be more silverish, uh, which leaves the question of whether it actually is Maul's ship or just one similar to it. So presumably this could go either way and therefore could fit nicely into either continuity without necessarily causing any contradictions. Uh, there was a point where the Legends continuity had it getting into Jedi hands, and then it got sort of diverted by Sidious, and it would certainly make sense if Sidious has that ship, because we see something that looks like that ship in Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison. Yeah, I assume that he had it the whole time, Sidious himself. So we got them showing up, and as he's you know, talking about to, to Dooku about how, you know, through your blood a new power will rise, etc., etc., as Mark was saying there, there's an explosion, part of the wall is blasted away, and in comes Grievous with Sidious at his side. It's time for some butt-whooping. Meanwhile, the leaders of Black Sun and the Pikes are arguing with Cast, who at this point is revealed to be a woman, because we finally see Cast with her helmet off, um, about basically the fact that, look, they need help. For themselves. They don't need to be the ones helping Maul at this point. 
um, it looks like things are starting to fall apart. They will continue their argument to the point where basically both the Pikes and the Black Sun say, pretty much, screw it, we're done, we're out of here. And Cass says, if you abandon your post, I will hunt you down and kill you myself. Zitan Maj answers, assuming you survive the day. Uh, because at that point, Separatist warships are coming out of hyperspace above Dathomir to face off with what little of the Mandalorian ships uh, remain. We don't really see much of that battle, though, because our focus is on what's happening inside that inner sanctum. We get what amounts to a multi-way lightsaber duel again, but this time we've got Maul with his darksaber entering the fray. He's going to be the one fighting Grievous, whereas it's Talzin inside the body of Dooku, raising him up as if she is essentially possessing him. Uh, she has his power, but not his skill, though. She is going to be the one as Dooku dueling Sidious. But not for very long, because without that skill, uh, basically there's no way she's going to be a match for Sidious. And Sidious gets the upper hand, blasts Dooku slash Talzin with Force Lightning, and leaves him on the ground. And it looks like he's smoking, but he's not smoking from being fried with Force Lightning. He's smoking because the spirit of Talzin in this mist form is finally emerging from his body and is able to take physical form for real. Uh, I am whole. I am returned. You are about to die, as Sidious says. And the battle continues, only now we've got Talzin herself in the fray. Uh, the way the battle plays out, fairly fast-paced. Maul winds up force-pushing Grievous right out the hole in the wall that they came through. Uh, good riddance mechanical trash, which is funny because... Maul is also part mechanical because of his legs at this point. We have Talzin using what amounts to sort of a green uh, force, dark side, night sister magic version of force lightning, blasting against Sidious at this point. Um, you can hear the Star Wars music, the da -da -da -da, like a music building in the background, although I'm seeing this and picturing Harry Potter and Voldemort going at it with their wands <laughs> connecting together. Uh, waiting for one side to have the energy get too close to them and knock them down. Uh, Dooku manages to get up and join the fray, blasting with Force Lightning of his own as well. Talzin finally gets to a point where she's not really able to hold them back with the Lightning itself, but is able to basically make a shield out of it to block a bunch of the Force Lightning that's coming at them. Maul puts his hand on her shoulder, saying, Mother, take my strength, which suggests that she is able to draw on the part of her or the, the, the mist energy that she gave him when resurrecting him, apparently. But it's, it's something that cannot go so well. As the Mandalorians arrive to try, led by Cass, to try to get Maul out of there to safety, um, Maul is basically told to go away. We see a motherly moment for Talzin. You know, go, my son. We can escape together. Not this time. If I lower my defenses, you will die. And finally, she basically force pushes, for lack of a better term, Maul away from her, back to where he lands on the ramp of where the Mandalorian gauntlet fighter has just touched down so that Cast and someone, perhaps Saxon, uh, grabs Maul and they drag him back aboard the ship so that they can escape. But before he is fully inside the ship, Talzin, having allowed herself to be distracted to push him away, falls to her knees. She's unable to keep fighting back. And finally, Grievous gets up close to her and stabs her through the chest with two of his lightsabers. And we get this sort of Indiana Jones-esque moment uh, where Talzin 
It's like there's this this mist, the green mist emerging from her body. It's, she seems to be uh, becoming sort of brittle, almost stone-like, as if uh, she was this old, ancient skeleton only kept alive by the energies. And she, boom, collapses down dead. Um, we'll deal in a moment with the last page of the story. But I found that to be a pretty cool battle. And, I don't know, it's, it's an odd way for Towson to go out. Because Towson goes out because, in that one instance... She acts like a mother. She protects her child. She protects Maul, pushing him away, and sacrifices her life to do it. Only, she only is able to be defeated because she's just gotten what she wanted. If she was still a spirit being only, maybe she could have somehow attacked them without the risk of actually dying. But instead, she's taken physical form, and by getting what she wanted, she is now in a position to be able to be killed. Towson is this story's... Freddy Krueger. I'm remembering back to Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare that turned out not to be the final nightmare, where you had to pull him from the dreamscape into the real world, and once he's in the real world, he can be killed because he's in physical form. It's basically what Towson did, only in this case, Towson did it to herself, and then put herself in harm's way to die. Um, it's very much an instance of... An element of this is the sacrifice of a mother for her child, but there's also the element of essentially the comeuppance here, of a villain getting what the villain wants, only for that to be what sets up the villain's downfall almost immediately. It it was odd. Well done, exciting, but odd. Yeah, no, you're definitely on point there. And that's that scene I was talking about where, you know, when Maul's being held back, let go of me, and you see Mother Talzin on her knee, and you're watching General Grievous come through the energy field. There's a... And you see his whole body is, is reverberating from you know, walking through the, the Sith slash, uh, night sister lightning, you know, which, which makes me stop again going, you know, what is up with Maul? Why can't he throw any freaking force lightning? I mean, dude, you'd have been a little more helpful instead of standing there. Mother takes strength from me. Why don't you walk over and slice them down? Like, you know, Grievous is about to do your mom. Uh, but the aspect, the way she does the sacrifice that does lend credence to the fact that she's probably not lying and that it is the sun. I have to admit that, but, the the panel where Dooku or not Dooku where Grievous walks up and he knights the two lightsabers while she's still down holding up the one hand, it's time. And it's got Maul the look on Maul's face is equally as dramatic as the one of Kenobi when Tipley died. Mother, no! And Mom, as she's being struck, two lightsabers crossing at her chest by Grievous. And that is a glorious panel. And, and, and it seemed even with, with her turning to stone, like all these panels are great. I'm loving the illustrative work here. So very, very much. But in a lot of ways, this ending kind of felt like lockdown. You know, it just kind of got to an end for Maul's character, which wouldn't necessarily be a problem aside from the fact that it is titled Darth Maul, son of Dathomir. And I'm like, maybe we should just call this Talzin's tale and, and call it a day. Darth Maul's mama. Instead of Darth Maul, son of Dathomir, Darth Maul, mama issues, or something like that. <laughs> um, Mama's boy. Now, the end of this is, I, I think, marketed on the head. It feels like lockdown. If you've been listening to Rebels Roundtable, but not Star Wars Beyond the Films, then you wouldn't have heard our review of Maul Lockdown. But our review basically had the idea that the end of that story just kind of happens. It gets to a point where it feels like it's building to something, and it very quickly, very abruptly cuts off. What's needed for that story is done, 
we're not really going to give you much of a conclusion to go with it. We're just going to kind of stop it dead in its tracks. And even though it looks like there may be a future for certain characters, there won't be because the tales aren't to be told. And in some cases, the characters die so soon after the story, it's impossible for there to be more tales of them working together and so forth. Kind of is the feel that we get here, a very abrupt ending. But that's the way the Clone Wars cartoon tends to be. You get to the end of what's needed for the story because we've just taken up the entire 20-some-odd minutes with the main bulk of the story because we wanted to, to put as much stuff in there as we possibly could. Now it's time for the credits, so very quick comment, very quick uh, quip in some cases by Ahsoka, and Iris out. So it has a feel of a Clone Wars episode in that sense, but for a comic series or for something else uh, that, that's thought of as outside the television medium, I will say that it does feel a little bit abrupt. But what we get is an odd conversation between Sidious and Dooku that presumably is meant to just wrap up Maul's storyline without really wrapping up the biggest questions that readers have had and that viewers have had. He says, That witch never learned. There are those with power and those who dream of power. And her existence was nothing but a dream. Dooku drops to his knees. My lord, forgive me. Maul has once again slipped through my grasp. No, Count. Everything happened as foreseen. This was a difficult piece to maneuver, but now it is in place. Maul's future has been erased, while ours is more certain than it has ever been. Right, that line that Mark quoted earlier. And it sort of makes sense. His power base is gone. Towson is gone. Savage is already gone at this point. Maul is basically on his own with a handful of Mandalorians that still seem to be loyal to him at this point. He's not totally stripped of all of his forces, but a lot of those that worked with him have dwindled down to the one faction. Heck, with Mandalore being so chaotic the last time we saw it, at this point, maybe what we're seeing is just a small faction of Mandalorians working with Maul, uh, even though that would seem to not be the case with Almec still in power back on Mandalore as far as we know. So we don't know exactly what's going on with Mandalore. That's sort of an open question. What about Maul? But then there's the question of Maul. One of the biggest things that was an issue when Maul returned to the Clone Wars was the question of, well, they have to get rid of him at some point, right? Otherwise, references to him being dead and the fact that he doesn't return in any other stories within the continuity, if we're talking Legends continuity, um, that has to be written away somehow. Lucas wouldn't bring him back just to leave him alive, would he? Apparently so. Unless there was meant to be another story after this that was going to wind up bringing us Maul's death, perhaps at the hands of Obi-Wan or something. Unless they're going to turn around and say that Old Wounds, that story from Star Wars Visionaries, is going to wind up being uh, in continuity, uh, whether for Legends or for story group canon. It just sort of leaves Maul out there hanging. That we don't need to kill him because his machinations are over. Well, yeah, in that sense they're over. But there's still a lot of unanswered questions of what's going on with that character. Towson's story is over. But Towson was a Clone Wars character. If we never saw Towson again, we would probably just assume, oh, well, she was just a Clone Wars character. Oh, well, like we do with any other Clone Wars characters. Like Rex, who never shows up again. But Maul. We now have, in the Legends continuity, the question of where did he go because we never see him again. And in story group canon, it leaves the door open for Maul to show up again someday. Maybe he could show up in Rebels. Maybe he could show up in the background of characters or something in the sequel trilogy. Maybe he could show up in an Obi-Wan spinoff film. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I really, really doubt it. But that just makes this ending all the weirder. For this to be a character basically just kind of left hanging out there. Um, it's an abrupt 
ending in Clone Wars style, but I don't know. It's To me, this was not a fully satisfying ending because I was expecting an end to Maul to really officially end his story. The way they talked about this as the end of the Maul arcs. Well, this is the end. They sure have left some huge question marks dangling overhead. Some loose threads out there that either need to be picked up or somehow explained away. Because otherwise, what are we supposed to assume? Maul gets defeated here and just goes and licks his wounds and never tries for revenge again. And goes off and lives a ho-hum life. Uh, he spends the rest of his years knitting or something? Where does Maul go from here? Does he go anywhere from here? All questions unanswered by this, and unfortunately, I don't see answers forthcoming anytime soon. Though I really hope I'm wrong. But Chancellor, Sith Lords are a speciality. There's that line that's going to drive me to no end completely nuts. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it seems like Lucas turned Maul into the Boba Fett of the EU. You know, hey, let's let's not kill him after all. He was a really popular character. Let's bring him back. We did that with Boba. It worked. Let's do it. I mean, you know, there's a part of me that would get a kick out of seeing Darth Maul having a hand in the villain aspect of the next trilogy. Maybe he's the one that teaches the bad guy his use of the Force. Or maybe Maul is the reason why they're still Sith around, because of the fact that he still exists. I mean, there's your loophole in that regard. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that 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 is one that drives me nuts. It, but at the same time, it also leaves me happy. I mean... There's potential out there for one more story. And I felt like that was the purpose, like that that this was part of something bigger that they just haven't told us more about. Um, you know, so so I'm really looking forward to finding out more details about the Ventress and Voss book. Is Maul going to factor into that somehow, some way? I don't know. I mean, again, I get back to that aspect of, you know, in the overall canon storytelling, Maul feels like the biggest mistake that Lucas did. Uh, you know, you brought him back what feels like just a cash grab, an attention grab. You know, he was he was a character that everyone loved to death in episode one and everybody hated the fact that he died. So what better way to, to you know, avenge that? Well, we'll just bring him back. But it was done in such a way that it, it, it stretches not only, you know, for somebody who's absorbed a lot of stories from legends that really go out there, canon giving me a story that goes out there in this way sucked you know it felt like a very uh you know mid-ground eu story at best and it was coming from lucas it was just like ah this is totally being made up out of nowhere just for this like so i really you know there's a part of me that hopes and prays that there is a big delivery that there was a reason a a an exit strategy for this character you know i mean don't just bring him back to bring him back because now you're sitting here and you're making towels in his mom, which sort of works, I guess. And, and you know, you got all these aspects of how it lines up with the films that are just like, well, now what are you going to do with that character? You know, there's too many unanswered questions that bringing him forward left open. So to not have an idea of what you're going to close it with is crazy. It's like when Drew Carpishian wrote what was going on with Darth Bane and Darzana and been like, well, I never had an idea. I, I figured it out yourself. That wasn't the case. He he knew which one of those two ended the battle. You know, I mean, you got to have that exit strategy when you're going to do something this big for it to be 100% successful. So, while I don't think bringing them all back was, was as successful as it could have been, this comic, though, barring everything legends-wise that doesn't conflict with it, 
if we look only canon, it was a very good comic. I really enjoyed it. The few things that brought me out that made me want more and, and question things were minuscule. Now, if I'm looking at it from Legends, I would rather just toss it off to the side and say it never counted at all. I mean, I would rather not. But canon, I don't have to worry about that. I can enjoy it for what it was. I can enjoy it for what it presents. And I can take it and and roll with it. So, you know, from a canon standpoint, it's a good story. It gives me an indicator, you know, of of some of the things that we could see with other stories and stuff that that are taken from the plots and the scripts from the Clone Wars. I'm definitely excited to see that that era hasn't quite died you know, I mean, since Disney take and bought Star Wars and everything, you know, we've watched the the death of the video games for all intents and purposes. We saw the death of Dark Horse Comics. Now we've seen the death of the EU. You know, I mean, so to see something still living on is nice. You know, I think I'm I was very torn early on at the idea of them bringing Maul back. And the fact that when they initially brought Maul back, the preview images we saw were of Spider Maul really kind of drove me nuts. But there was that question of, well, how are they going to do this and make this all wrap up into a nice little ball when all is said and done? How are they going to wrap up the loose ends? And as it went on, I like the fact that Maul got brought back. It was an odd explanation of how he got brought back, how he got to Lotho Minor and all that kind of stuff, uh, or wherever it was, thanks to uh, the background that we got in, I believe it was the Sith Hunters, that one comic book that presumably now is no longer part of the continuity, no longer part of story group canon because the digest comics of Clone Wars that aren't based on scripts, those are not carried over into story group canon at this point as far as we know. None of that's being carried over at all. Neither are the little web comics that made things like the way that you transition from Oh, Dooku captured to the Gungan General makes sense. You know, those web comics are out the window too. Um, but as odd as it was the way they brought him back, he became, and his arc became, one of my favorites in the Clone Wars. Ventress's arc, once she is separated from Dooku, is a great arc that we got a chance to see. Uh, Ahsoka's arc, by the time we got into the last season or so, cool stuff to see. But Maul was one that really brought the excitement and the unpredictability to it. And when you started to move his story in and tie it into, say, the Death Watch, uh, that was incredible. My favorite arc of the Clone Wars of all time, is the arc in which Maul winds up creating his Shadow Collective in the first place, uh, with with everything going all the way up to the Lawless and everything. Shades of Reason being probably my favorite with the battle between uh, him and Vizsla, where, where Vizsla's using all the different abilities and such, and then the, the shock on Obi-Wan's face in the Lawless with the death of Satine and everything. He wound up being a character I was glad to see there, despite the oddity of bringing him back, and the fact that it really did seem like this was just Lucas being like, hey, people love Boba Fett, let's stick him into A New Hope in the special edition, and let's make him flirt with the dancers in the special edition of Return of the Jedi, and hey, how's about we make the clones all actually clones that are identical in a sense, just age-progressed of Boba Fett by making it his daddy that was etc., 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 etc. It seemed like it was another of those type of situations to bring him in, and it probably was to a large degree. Um, but I think it worked well, and it finally gave depth to a character that really had none to begin with. Maul had no depth whatsoever in The Phantom Menace, and in the Legends continuity around it, really never got much depth either. It took him coming back in The Clone Wars for them to push to give him more depth in things like the short stories that we got added to the, the newer paperback reprints of Shadowhunter 
and of the Phantom Menace novelization. Now Maul gets to have some depth and some actual characterization beyond, oh look, he's a badass with a double-bladed lightsaber, don't think of Exar Kun, think just of this, isn't he so awesome, and doesn't he look like a devil? <laughs> now he's a fully fleshed out character. So I love the fact that he was back, even if it was a heavy-handed way to do it. And I like the fact that we get a story here that would have been produced in the show to see the next progression of his character, because this takes his development up another notch with the, revel the revelation um, of Towson being his mother and uh, the ending trauma of him seeing his mother stabbed down right in front of him and all. Um, but the fact that it is still left an open question what happens to him is the big disappointment for me. It doesn't matter whether we are talking about story group canon or legends. And I think this story is one that's cool to see continue on for Clone Wars, but it does do a couple of things it tweaks with legends that kind of cause folks to be frustrated because, let's face it, that's what Clone Wars often did. And we were kind of hoping not to see that happen anymore once Clone Wars episodes were no longer being produced. But still here, the Clone Wars is kind of smashing through and tweaking and tinkering with certain elements of legends continuity. But whether we're talking legends or story group canon in which... We don't know anything beyond this outside of what we're going to see in Rebels and outside of what we've got uh, in the live-action films and all. The fact that he is left out there as a being at large who just sort of has vanished, we have no idea where he goes next, no idea what happens to him, no idea why he doesn't show up again later or if he is going to somehow show up again later, um, that made the ending of this series a significant disappointment to me. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we never got to see, really, uh, Obi-Wan play much into this story. He gets a role with the Jedi Strike Team in the third issue, but as much as they built up the Obi-Wan Maul dynamic, ever since the Phantom Menace, each time we have seen him, particularly in the Clone Wars, to have Obi-Wan show up briefly only to lose another Jedi, and that is it, was a significant disappointment. That being said, that's not on Jeremy Barlow. That's not on Dark Horse. That's on the original writers of these scripts and how basically they were tied into having to play by the script's rules when putting together this miniseries. Uh, I think Jeremy Barlow did a very good job of adapting episodes into comic book form. I think the art, usually, when not talking about Nosferatu, Mace Windu, worked very, very well. I think it's a series that anyone who is a fan of the Clone Wars should read. Whether you're a fan of Legends continuity, story group canon, neither and just the show or whatever. It is a fun adventure, but it's not a flawless one because of the nature of the beast with the way these episodes were originally scripted. We get no real answer for what's going on with Maul in the end, and we really don't get the Jedi action tied into the story that we would have expected. Beyond that, solid enough tale. I'd say it's a recommend, so to speak. Yeah, you know, I'd be okay even if they down the road made another Obsession-style comic where we see Obi-Wan obsessed with Maul and, and bring him all in. Because that was my big thing. I wanted Maul to go down at the hands of Obi-Wan. You know, I wanted to have that circle, you know, that when Obi-Wan has that, oh, Sith Lords are a speciality, you know, it actually meant something. Not, well, we're used to just standing up against them and they just disappear, you know. And they come up and we'd make them disappear again. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I That was definitely one of the bigger letdowns of the whole thing. Uh, you know, So that's why I had to start looking at it more as it was Talzin's story than it was Maul's. Uh, once I did that, I really enjoyed it. You know, I could let go of the fact that Maul got away. But 
Maul getting away just, yeah, it was one of those things that just, that makes me stop. Cause it's like, that's, you know, I want to know what's going on with him. I, I do like the aspect though of keeping it open. You know, I mean, all the way up until episode seven, as long as they keep Maul's fate open, there is that potential that Maul could be in the, the movies. You know, he could have a hand in it. He could be a villain, all that kind of stuff. Will it happen? I highly doubt it, but they're leaving that mystery open. And I, I find that that's pretty interesting. Uh, Nathan, any other comments before we move into covers? No, I think we're good. I think so, too. Uh, and if we end up doing anything with Rebels Roundtable about this, it will strictly be only from a canon standpoint. We may point out a couple little things of how it went off from Legends. But for the most part, it will be straight up canon, which is something I actually look forward to about discussing Star Wars, not having to be like, well, it's in this canon and that one. So as we get into covers here, it's important to note that, number one, uh, I guess they were getting us ready from Marvel Comics, uh, or just repeating themselves from Star Wars Volume 2, number one, uh, number one had multiple incentive-type variants for particular events and particular retailers and so forth. Basically, what you got is there is a standard cover that is Maul. It's basically him, more or less, from the stomach up. is uh, leaning forward. You don't see his blade really much at all. You see the teeny tiny bit near the bottom. It says, you can't keep a bad Sith down. Uh, that is the standard cover. Then you have the Wizard World Atlanta variants. There are two of them. One of them is in full color. It's got Maul in the foreground with his blade. It's got a very bright white Stygian background. And you get the two Mandalorians, or Maldalorians if you want to call them that, standing behind him. Uh, based on, of course, uh, sequences similar to, but not exactly what's found in issue number one. Because he's actually got the dark saber with him. There's that variant, but then there is also a sketch variant of that same cover. It's a white, a black and white sketch, and then it's got the Star Wars logo in red and the name Darth Maul, a son of Dathomir, in black. There is also a San Diego Comic Con variant cover of this, and that one basically has Maul's face. And he's sort of standing sideways because you can see one of his arms behind him raised up. And you see the blade of the Darksaber in front of him. Okay, so that's another of these uh, similar styles to what we got with the regular cover. It's Maul in black in a pose with sort of a fiery black and orange background. There's then another variant on that same theme, which was from the Diamond Retailer Summit. And it's got Maul, you can see his whole body this time down on one knee, leaning with the Darksaber up in his rear hand uh, and a fist in his other hand as he's, you know, kind of, again, somewhat turned sideways to us. So the regular one is the one with the actual text on it to say, you can't keep a bad Sith down if you're having trouble figuring out which one it is. And it is the, uh, the three-character, the only three-character one, which is the uh, Wizard World Atlanta variant, that the finished version, as opposed to the sketch version, is being used as, I believe, the trade paperback cover for this one. So, multiple versions of number one's cover to talk about here, but uh, regular versions for the other three. That's interesting, because, yeah, I mean, I knew of the one. I didn't realize that the other one was up close. I like number one, the quality of it. If you see big images and stuff, it's really in-depth. It's really captures, you know, the the anger and stuff in his face i like the way that the horns look very uh, demonic and the grittiness of it uh you know number two's cover 
Number two's cover, I don't know, it had a promise of action. I remember when I saw it, I was excited right away. It's got, you know, Knight Brothers versus Count Dooku. And Dooku's got his left hand forward, and he's got lightning engulfing a couple of the Knight Brothers. And he's got his lightsaber in his right hand arced back, hitting like what looks like a force pike or just a staff from one of the Knight Brothers as more of them come up behind him. But he's in full battle mode. Um, there's something about these covers. They've got like a chalk-esque look to them. I don't know. I, there's something about it I dig. It kind of reminds me of before Invasion went with the uh, computerized covers, how they had theirs originally. It's kind of got that look. Number three is probably one that I don't care as much for, mainly because of Maul's face, but it's all Count Dooku captured, and it's got, it looks like Dooku's on his knees with Maul pointing the Darksaber right at him, and he's got his hand like he's about to backhand him or something, like snarling at him. Uh, but four, I think is probably the one that I can't stand the most. It's the, the styling that I was, I was referring to is kind of gone more into a misty like realm. And I don't know if that's because of the fact that Palpatine's throwing Sith lightning and you've got, uh, Talzin doing her stuff. And for some reason, Maul's lightsaber blade is turning to mist as Palpatine's force lightning's hitting it. And it's all Maul faces his former master. I don't know. That one was one I didn't really care for that much. The one, though, I I would say I'm going to enjoy the most is the one for the uh, trade paperback. That's the one with the Mandalorians behind him and him with the with the dark saber. I'm definitely going to go out and get that one in the trade just to have on a you know in a separate place. Uh, you know, I, I think about that as we're moving forward. You know, we've talked about before. You know, how we're going to collect these things, and I just decided, you know, now that all things moving forward or canon i'm gonna have a canon comic collection as well and so since this one falls under both i'm gonna buy both copies so i can have one in each so definitely uh, one of those things that made me kind of stop and think about you know moving forward because that cover I, I just had to have it you know it, it's glorious it, it, i like the fact that it looks like it's on the planet uh stygian and when maul's first getting captured uh it looks like they're standing with some ice sculptures behind them with snow falling around them and stuff i i think out of all of them that's my favorite cover yeah, of the covers uh, for number one, the ones that have Maul by himself with the flames in the background. I mean, they're cool enough looking. Honestly, of the different ones, the Retailer Summit, uh, the Diamond Retailer Summit one, the San Diego Comic-Con one, and the regular one, the regular one really is the one that I find the coolest looking. That was actually the one that they had initially shown as what would be the trade paperback cover and then apparently change their minds on it. But really, to me, the, the standout of the number one covers is that one from the Atlanta Wizard World Con, that cool one with the white background uh, with the two Mandalorians behind Maul. Awesome cover. And, of course, that's what we're going to give it the trade paperback in case you didn't happen to pick up uh, those variants as they came from Atlanta. Of course, very cool sketch cover is nice, too, but as neat as it is, it's not uh, as pretty-looking, so to speak, and not as attractive as the finished version of that. So that's definitely going to be my favorite one there. But they all look pretty cool. These are all covers by Chris Scalf. So we got some really, really good stuff, no matter which ones we're looking at. Uh, issue number two, uh, you got Dooku using the Force Lightning and such. I would swear I've seen Dooku in that pose before. So I'm wondering if this is a photo-referenced image. Mm. Um, but cool to see him fighting against the Knight Brothers, which is a scene, of course, that we get uh, within the series. The third one, you know, Maul... Uh, all angry down against Dooku. That's perhaps my favorite of all of them, simply because he does such a good job of capturing Maul and Dooku's uh, facial expressions and the realism to it. It almost looks like it could be photorealistic or very, very close to it. So that one turns out very, very well. Uh, the Count Dooku captured and such, although 
Now, Dooku Captured was a name of another episode of the series. Uh, the fourth one actually is probably my least favorite. It's just an odd-looking one. Something weird up with Maul's staff. Uh, it seems like, I don't know, the, the cover takes their faces and takes more liberties with it than one might expect. I mean, Mother Towson looks like she is probably being played by Samuel L. Jackson, for instance, which doesn't really, doesn't really match the way I usually picture Towson. Uh, so, as cool as the, the covers are overall, uh, 4 is probably my least favorite, and uh, 3 stands out probably as my favorite with that uh, Atlanta variant of number 1 as a very, very close second. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU slash Legends questions, or if you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWords.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars, Legends universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Wessler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. We'll have new folks who listen to Rebels Roundtable jumping over to Star Wars Beyond the Films because of this simul-release. Or that we'll get more stories that fall into canons. Nah, that's just way too confusing for most fans. You know, more and more, I agree. (laughs) What's the name of that episode that sucks so bad? Sunny Day in the Void? Yes. Thank you once again for hanging around us. Hang around us, because we're just good people.